It is a lovely day when there's not a crisis. Tell <laughs> <laughs> the truth. Today's guest is Bridget Callahan, founder of the multi-award winning pizzeria Well Needed in London, winning awards for environmental sustainability, women in food for employing young people on the margins, and this year, Entrepreneur of the Year for Wandsworth Enterprise Awards. What we found is because our business had to be so people-centric, yeah. we almost could only go as fast as the slowest person. Um, so we didn't want to cause a negative impact environmentally simply by doing something positive socially. We really wanted, wow. and this is setting ourselves up for all sorts of failure, you know, this is literally yeah. like... I didn't know how hard it could or might be, which I think was a positive, because I don't think it's that useful always to know how hard something's going to be, because you might yeah. never do it. I realized that if I didn't do it, yeah. then no one else yeah. is going to, going to, going to, going to, going to. Welcome to Daring Forward, where we feature ordinary women doing extraordinary things and learn practical lessons and action steps to help you live courageously. I'm your host, Sahar Twesajay. Now, if you're ready, let's dare forward. Do you long to make a positive change and impact in your community or the world? We often think that the only way to do that is to donate our hard-earned money to charities or to volunteer. But what if you could create a business where being profitable and making an impact could coexist? Our guest in today's episode shows us what it means to build an impact-driven business and put people and sustainability at the forefront of your business strategy. We talk about what it takes to build a startup hospitality business from scratch, the challenges of focusing on making a social and environmental impact as a business, how to put on your problem-solving hat, and so much more. Today's guest is Bridget Callahan, founder of the multi-award-winning pizzeria Well Needed in London, winning awards for environmental sustainability, women in food for employing young people on the margins, and this year, Entrepreneur of the Year for Wandsworth Enterprise Awards. With nothing but £5,000 in savings in startup capital, she was dead set on starting a food business with the sole purpose of helping unemployed young people with disadvantaged backgrounds find work and build a better future. I guess a good place for us to start would be, before you started Well Needed, what led you up to that point? What was the journey like for you then? So lots of interweaving kind of strands, I guess, brought me to the, the Well Needed launch point. Um, my, my mom had been a business teacher and so I'd been around, I'd seen kind of, there's always conversations going on around, um, different entrepreneurs that she was inspired by. My aunt ran a hotel, my cousins ran a pub. So I'd kind of been in these different worlds of where people were doing their own thing or teaching about people doing their own thing. Um, so at, mm -hmm. at uni I studied business in Spanish and just thought I'd go down a traditional I don't know, just, you know, earn some money, <laughs> carry on. Yeah. And um, I ended up working for a chocolate company, uh, quite a small chocolate company after university. And um, I, they had a, a lot of investment. It was really unusual, but they had no strategy. They really had no plan of what, what to do. A very passionate chocolatier head chef. He was also the CEO, but he had no business experience. And really, I didn't either. But I asked where the business plan was and there was no business plan. So oh, wow. it was kind of exciting because I could work with the investors. There was I was their first full-time employee as well to create a business plan. They wanted to go into Selfridges and Liberty and um, all these amazing places. So I got this really unusual first-hand experience of dealing with these kind of negotiations, which were really way above my 
experience way above my pay grade yeah. <laughs> um, at the time, although that's become irrelevant. Now I run my own business. There is no, there is, you know, no pay it's grade. not relevant. <laughs> <laughs> There's no pay grade. <laughs> um, something to be aware of for your listeners. Yeah. Um, there are ups and downs. Um, but actually having been there for a year or so, I got an opportunity to work for a youth organization. Youth work is something that I said to myself, I will never ever do. I mm. love young people, but, but working with them. I was like, no way. Um, it, I just didn't think I had the gifting or the skill, to be honest. It wasn't that I didn't want to work with young people more, just that I didn't think I could. And I think that's probably what a lot of people think. And yeah, it, a friend, it was one of those strange times where the application form for this job just kept landing on my desk in my inbox. It's through the post, different people sent me this application form and it felt like I have a, a strong Christian faith. And it felt like one of the times of my life where I've really been taken out of kind of the direction. I thought I was headed into another direction. Little did I know those two strands were going to weave together in Well Needed later down the line. But I ended up in youth work and that was where I started to see the need, I guess, um, out there amongst young people, the lack of direction, the lack of role models, really just the lack of opportunities and realize how different, I guess, that was from maybe my parents who had really bugged me to get jobs in the holidays, really bugged me to see my CV, really been on my case. And some of these young people had amazing parents, but they were working so hard or looking after more kids that there was just no time for that as well. So they were just kind of floating around. So mm. yeah, they're the kind of strands that led together to um, to face me with this, this, what do we do with all these young people question? Um, can I do anything? As you were working with the young people, you've also had this like entrepreneurial streak behind you. So from that point to actually launching Well Needed, how did you come up with the idea? Like what was the ideation stage? Uh, If you want to call it that, like what did that look like? I I think... Thankfully, I was naive enough to, I think naivety is actually a real blessing at the beginning of these things. Um, (laughs) And ignorance is bliss. Um, And I think I was trying to imagine, I I knew I wanted to provide employment opportunities. I knew I wanted to to be able to pay a young person rather than just give them work experience. That was, Mm. so that was a pillar, I guess. Um, I knew that I needed something that I would be interested in and they would be interested in. I don't think I was strategic enough at the time to think there'd be loads of other people involved or that it could scale up or anything. It was more just what can I do that I like and they like. And the only thing I could really obviously think about was food. And so then I I was thinking about different food routes. And at the time there was Franco Manga had their first little pizzeria in Brixton. And it's one of my favorite places to go. This really grumpy Brazilian chef, but made incredible pizzas. (laughs) And it was sourdough pizza. And I just thought, and I asked him if I could get a job and he said, no, you won't be good enough. So he was really rude, but um, oh, probably wow. realistic. <laughs> it was kind of fun though. I went back in again and again being like, come on, you have to help. Um, and in the end, they did give me one night shift in the bakery upstairs. So I got somewhere. Um, it was so it was between pizza. And then when I asked the young people what they liked, I could see that lots of them, like lots of different kind of um jerk chicken and lovely Caribbean food. But I just didn't have any, I was like, well, if you guys can, and make it and do it, then we can do that. But actually it was, they were like, oh, it was my mom or my granny or they didn't necessarily have the confidence to be able to make that happen. So I thought, okay, let's start with something that neither of us have really 
any experience with, but it's something like dough. You can, I thought dough has so many different angles. It's also kind of a parable in itself. It takes time. It's slow. It mm. has to rise. It has, there's lots of things and it's a, it's a skill in itself. It, um, and then you can make bread and do lots of different things. So I, I landed on this idea of pizza, but then knew that I couldn't start a restaurant because I had no, no skills and no experience. Right. So that was where a food truck, I thought maybe a food truck. And there were no food trucks in London really at the time. There were maybe a, a, a tiny collective, but yeah, that was the kind of ideation stage. What, what can they do? What can I do? How can we both enjoy ourselves? This has got to be every single day. So food is, was for me, the obvious thing. I've grown up in a family that love cooking, that love food. And um, I couldn't think of anything else. <laughs> it was just, it wasn't even like, let's brainstorm that idea and let's brainstorm lots of others. And look at and model it and do a PL and no it was just that what are they like what do I like food what's it going to be pizza okay I, I need to learn that. how to make pizza that was actually it was that simple and that naive <laughs> if you can believe it That's so, um, good. so how did you get the food truck did you have to fundraise get investors uh, what did that look like um so I found one on eBay for kind of I think it was a thousand pounds at the time. And I had 5,000 pounds of savings. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that was my, that was my, that was me. Yeah. And then the rest I had to find. So um, I was connected in with somebody that had been wanting to put money into specifically into a youth, a business serving young people on the exact council estate that I was doing detached youth work on and behind Clapham Junction. So he came alongside and he's actually still part of our advisory board. He has been amazing the whole way. And at that point he put money in and to be honest, it's not, that wasn't even an investment. We didn't, I don't even know if we had a proper bank account at that point. It was just a gift really. (laughs) Um, but that one, I know he's now invested properly and he has a share certificate. Things have moved on. But, um, at that point it was, I didn't know anything. I, I knew the basics, but it was all theory. You know, it's just stuff that I'd learned in a lecture hall. I didn't really know how it worked. Um, mm. And so he'd put money in. And then I had another one, an old friend actually of mine from university. She was leaving her job at the time. And she came and said, I'd really like to help you start this. So she also invested. So between the three of us, that was what we had. And then we worked out we could do a food truck. We could convert it at that point. I've got to say it was I think it costs a lot more now to convert a food truck than it did then. This was in 2009, 2010. And yeah. really it was a big thing. Yeah. Um, and we went all the way up to like in the north of um, England to to do it, I think probably because it was a lot more cost effective as well. Um, and then we needed to get the pizza oven fits. So we had to go visit this guy in um, Kidderminster near Wales for the pizza oven. And he was a, they were, there were characters along the way. The guy that did our van had a dingo, which I think is illegal in Australian, kind of basically a wolf on a chain. And that was always a, you know, basically fight for your life every time you went to visit him. <laughs> you know, it, the whole thing was so surreal. It was, you can't make, you can't make it up. But we once just kept taking steps. And I did kind of feel like I was pushing against well, a bit of a brick wall at times because it was so unknown. It was so unknown. I wasn't doing anything within my comfort zone. That was you know, that was a problem in some ways, but in other ways it meant I didn't know, I didn't know how hard it could or might be, which I think was a positive because I don't think it's that useful always to know how hard something's going to be because you might never do it. (laughs) I say that, you know, being a woman, having given birth, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but all of it was picking up the phone, 
no emails really just picking up the phone and asking people can you help can I come learn um can I use your kitchen can I can I can I can I you know really putting yourself out there and that bit's really tiring I think uh I think I'm you know an extrovert by nature but it's still tiring um so yeah those were the different kind of strands that came together and it took about a year um for all of that to to happen that's incredible I mean I think one of the things that stand out to me from you saying that is the entrepreneurial spirit, right? Like the, the one where, you know, things aren't handed to you. Like, I love the fact that you've mentioned you pick up the phone and you call people and you ask, like just asking for help the whole way through until you see this idea yeah. come to completion. Is that something that naturally you feel like as a personality you had? Because you mentioned you're an extrovert. Is it, did it come from just watching your family? Like, where do you feel like you learned that? Yeah, it's such a good question. I was reflecting the other day that we used to go on holiday to Cornwall as kids and my dad would still be working on the way down as he drove. And I would listen in. I mean, we'd all listen in to his business calls and because he'd have it on the the loudspeaker and we'd all have to be quiet. That was, it was like, sounds like my life right now, basically. Yeah, yeah, for your kids, yeah. Um, I mean, it's, do you know what's amazing though? I learned. I remember hearing him negotiate. He would sell um, textiles to different um, clients in different countries. He worked for a big textile company, yeah. and I'd hear him negotiating. And he was really, he was really skilled at it. I think he was, you know, it was never kind of angry or pushy, but just this is this is what we can do, and this is, mm. and it would be this push and pull. And I, I think that definitely played played a part but also I I don't think I'm necessarily that good at it when I don't have to do it but putting it all on myself knowing that I'd said I'm starting this this business I realized that if I didn't do it yeah then there is there's no one else yeah. is going to so it's almost putting myself in a position where I don't have a choice I think is probably I you know I'm one of those people that was last minute handing in their essays or last you know I'm I work well under pressure and and it's I think I realized that if I don't have all the responsibility on my shoulders, I'm, I'm not necessarily going to do it. Uh, so it was actually really helpful for me to put myself in a position where there were, there were no other options. That's really insightful. And I feel like that's another key that you've just said there is creating that internal pressure. Because I think we are normally, <laughs> as like as humans, we're just wired for comfort. Like we don't like doing things we're not <laughs> yeah. good at. We don't like doing things that we don't like to do. So if we don't have to, we won't. And I think yeah. that's been my personal experience as well. Like I felt like I've had no choice in terms of entrepreneurship because of there not being a plan B. That was, if I'm honest, the only reason why I've gotten as far as I did. If there was another option for me not to do it, I I wouldn't have. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. so I think, um, yeah. you know, it. I think initially at the starting phase, you kind of have to create that internal pressure for yourself. Okay. So from that point, yeah. it's taken you about a year just to set up the business. All the doors have opened. You've got things in place. You've got all the checks and balances. Now starting and hiring the young people, what was that like? I'm trying to understand logistically what happened there and how did you pull it off? Yeah, me too. <laughs> You're still trying to understand. <laughs> um, I know how we've begun though. Yeah. We, we, there was one guy, a really kind of obvious candidate who is kind of, it's a, it's a rule for life. He just hung around the van once we got our first pitch and that's a whole story with 
talking to the council and asking for a pitch on the estate where this whole there's now a big um, tower block of new flats there, but it took that's only just been built. And back in 2011, they said you can't have a pitch there because we're about to build some flats. And I yeah. think it took them nine years to get to get get, get that going on. But we had some really great people within the council as well who who helped us. Um, where in other parts there were sort of blockers. But he once we did get the van on this little pitch next to the estate, he he just came and hung out and he was just around. And in the end, we said, hey you know, do you, we've had you in mind, but we don't want to force you. I didn't want to pressure him or pressure any of the young people either, because I was really aware this was, they'd had a part and a voice in it, but it was also my idea. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't, it was, it was a bit of a tension really between, is this helpful for you guys or not? But, and I, and I knew that we were learning how to do the business. So I knew that at the beginning we couldn't pay ourselves. We couldn't pay anyone. So what I was offering at the beginning was just, do you want to come and learn with us? That's all I can offer. I don't have any other funding. I don't have any backup. And he actually was, so his name's Carl. He's still working with us now. He's our longest standing employee. He's been with us from day one, longer than my husband's (laughs) been working with Well Needed. Um, Yeah. And he he came in and he, he struggled to speak to people. He's such a lovely heart, but didn't have loads of confidence interacting with people Mm -hmm. and, but, but slowly, slowly built that up. And in order to build that up, we got him making pizza. And again, we were, I mean, we were really young in this process. So the pizzas that we make now are almost unrecognizable from what we were making then, but Mm. they were, they were good. They were, they were, they had a place and he started making them. And that meant that he could just turn around and face the customer kind of when he felt like he had the confidence to, and bit by bit, we got him more on the front of house side. And actually with a street food van, it's much, uh, much more intense than in a restaurant setting where even as a waiter or waitress, you can go to your table and you can kind of run away out the back if you have an awful experience. In a street food van, there is nowhere to go. So we actually realized quite quickly that we're putting these young people in quite an intense environment that they are, they can reach out and touch the person, you know, if they, they, that's how close you are. Uh, So he was our first young person and actually for the first six months, we don't think we had any capacity for, for anyone else. And we decided that in order to take on young people who were going to stick around and who knew, we, we knew that they needed to know they wanted to work with us. That was really the only criteria. They, they needed to want a job. Yeah. If they didn't want a job, we couldn't help them. They just needed to want a job. And um, so we worked together with a SPEAR program um, that give a kind of six-week employability course, CVs, turning up on time, soft skills. Mm-hmm. And we work with them to get referrals for young people. Really, in fact, would one guy we actually sent on Spear. Is that how it works? Well, worked? it's interesting. They would actually, yeah, they would, they, either they would refer or, or we would actually find a young person and say, you need to go do this beer course and then come I to see. us. Because we just needed to know that somebody was was able to just, just basics, like set an alarm, get out of bed, yeah. get to the course on time. Yeah for six weeks in a row. And I think it was three or four days. It wasn't every day, just in the afternoons. They were realistic. They knew that young people, their best skill isn't always getting up early in the morning. So they started the course at 11 or 12. So it was, that was really helpful because once we had that young, the second young person, he had had to have already completed that. We realized after maybe another six months that ratio wise, two young people to three non-young people was actually a bit too too much in terms of the balance. It needed to be more three to one, not three to two. I see. In terms of how we were able to support the young people. Yeah. 
So we've we've kind of worked on that ratio, which means actually as a business, we've not been able to support loads of young people at one time because we've we've realized what support they require and having not had jobs and maybe not come from, I don't know, not, not had particular opportunities meant that it just takes a little more. Some of them, some reading and writing needed to be developed in order just that they could do the job with us better and so that they would be satisfied. And then just basic kitchen skills. We we actually had lots of guys at the beginning and um, some of the girls that we'd had, you know, this is stereotyping, but it's, it was true. The girls had helped their mums more in the kitchen and the guys maybe Mm. just hadn't. So they just even sort of some, what we had one, Carl actually really always loved cooking. So he'd always been around his mum and he'd helped her, but that made a really big, that's made along the way a really big difference. Have they got involved in the kitchen at home? If they have, they're already one step ahead. If they haven't, they've just, that's like another just hurdle real basic to overcome. Wow! Exactly. Okay. So it, it's depended. We've had to sort of we've changed our onboarding, and we ask them a lot more questions before they start now, so we understand how they come to us. But all of that was a learning because we weren't we weren't a charity. We decided to start as a business. Yeah. So I don't know. There wasn't a backup for them either. If they didn't turn up for work, and we were had a wedding or an event, then if we got bad reputation we wouldn't get business and they'd all, we'd all be affected together. I wanted there to be a, a communal gotcha. kind of pull and push. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, that was then. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that's how we sort of, it was gradually through referrals that we got the young people through the, the youth work I'd been doing. I had a lot of contacts to young people that would just wanted something to do. My husband and I in our early twenties, mid twenties, like that was our life. Like we were working with young people. So we were youth workers. And so I totally understand um, who also came from, a lot of them came from like disadvantaged backgrounds. I'm very familiar with some of the issues that you're speaking of. How did that affect the business? So you've talked about like, I love the fact that you guys started having systems in place as you started learning what it looks like working with them. How has that affected how you grow the business? Because I know you touched on that. And maybe like what have what have been some of the challenges or some of the frustrations that you've experienced? And like, how did you kind of navigate those? It has meant that we haven't been able to grow. If if you look at other people that start at the same time mm-hmm. as us doing quite a similar thing, a pizza pilgrims is probably the most obvious example. If you're and actually they've now started an academy, not necessarily to take on young people that a face disadvantage, but anybody that wants to learn pizza. But I've I've looked and seen what what you can do when you're just focused on scale and you have to get your business model mm-hmm. right and then get an investor in or get the bank in to loan. And then you sort of, this is making it sound simple, but actually with a food business, once you get your model right, once your margins are correct, you actually can scale it. It, it might go wrong because you might not manage your team well. There are lots of pitfalls, mm-hmm. but it can be done quite quickly. However, what we found is because our business had to be so people centric, we almost could only go as fast as the slowest person because, because that was the model. The model was that we bring up from the rear in a way and that we, we bring everyone together. We all the time up until now, we have been asking our chefs to be youth workers as well. And that is Mm -hmm. unusual. Mm -hmm. And for the most part is really challenging because if you get a really good chef, the things that they value highly are precision and speed Mm -hmm. and they're not general. They're very specific, highly creative, like almost, um, mad scientist types. I mean, I'm thinking of my husband. (laughs) Oh, is your husband Um, a chef? (laughs) 
Yeah, he he is. He's become a okay. chef, but he's actually an artist. That's actually what okay. he is. That's but but the biggest challenge in it has been that the way that a traditional hospitality restaurant based business would grow is is fast and efficient and quick with really small margins and you multiply up and you scale. But these young people presented us with a very human I, it, you could say problem or you could say opportunity to, to look at the person and go, well, actually, you're not ready for us to open a chain or you're not ready. You need you just need to sit down with somebody and have a chat about this thing. It's often stuff not related to work. They've got they're often caring for you know two or three other children in their family. They've got such huge responsibility, mm. which just means that the work, the work piece in their lives can't always be a priority. But of course, as an employer, you're asking it to be a priority yeah. and they're coming to you and saying, well, this thing has just happened in my life. How, how do I how do I marry the two? And to be honest, there's not an obvious answer. Lots of employees would just say, "Well, you're fired." Yeah. But the whole point was that we were trying to make a way that that wouldn't be the reality. That's so beautiful. All right, let's move on to the other piece of your business. Now, I know that um, with Well Needed, you're not just people-centric. You're also very focused about the environment. And I believe you guys also focus on seasonal recipes as well, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah. my, I, I'm, I'm a strategist by nature. So my brain is just going like, like how logistically <laughs> you've got the, the human element and like, you know, you're in essence, you're coaching young people while making incredible pizzas, sourdough pizzas. Now you're bringing in the element of, you know, the environment and seasonal food and cooking. So what does that part of the business look like? And was that something that you focused on from the beginning or did you introduce that later down the line? We did actually have that in from the beginning, but again, was always a tension. Mm. Um, Bryony, the, my kind of co-founder, she was really passionate. Almost I took the people, the young people piece and she took that piece and we decided to hold one nice. each so that neither got yeah. lost. So we had, there was one of our suppliers we had from the beginning called Langridge Organic and we knew even 10 years ago, organic was not even a, a big thing, but we'd read a lot about it. And she was actually mentored by somebody who'd started an organic farm and just seen the crazy difference in wildlife and the, you know, the ecosystem of of his farm in being organic. And at the time there were, there weren't lots of, there, were, there was a big, big kind of voice saying, no, organic, it's expensive. It doesn't mm -hmm. do much. And now of course the, that it's not that it's the only argument, but it's coming up you know, in amongst the voices in terms of how we farm yeah. and look after the the planet and the effects particularly that organic farming has on soil. Yeah. And maybe just more careful farming if it's not always organic. It's now this word regenerative is being used yeah. a lot. So that's that word regenerative is is kind of key to our business, both with people and kind of regeneration of I guess ourselves, people, opportunities, but also the planet. So our we try and work really closely with farms that are as near to us as possible. So now we have a great partnership with a farm called Sutton Community Farm, which is in Sutton. And then we also have started a partnership with another, it's actually more like a growing cooperative called Paradise Cooperative, lovely name. And it's just opposite ones with prison. And they have only really just started um, being able to supply us with, with more. So they, they would just come in and drop off cucumbers, courgettes, tomatoes, but they don't use any pesticides or um, any chemicals in their land and as such the way that we have to do our menus is rather than traditionally where you ring up your supplier and say I want 10 kilos of tomatoes I want this mm -hmm. I want that you have to start with a different question which is what what have you got growing what's going on today what's what's 
what's grown this week? What can you give me? Yeah. And then off that, you make a menu. So that, that again poses its challenges because it means there's where the ideal I think would be that you have your young people and that's your uncertain bit and everything else you just have maybe like the McDonald's model is perfect. You just have, you just have a menu and you roll it out and maybe once a year you launch something new, but everybody knows about that. Everyone's told about it for 12 months leading up to it and then you launch it. But with us, it's every month there's something different. So yeah, you are asking, particularly for the young people, you're asking them their brains to kind of take in this other, other element but on the flip side, mm. when we were beginning, we couldn't really square getting young people into work that was unsustainable, let's say, for their children. Um, so we didn't want to cause a negative impact environmentally simply by doing something positive socially. We really wanted, wow. and this is setting ourselves up for all sorts of failure. You know, this is literally yeah. like <laughs> how not to how not to start a financially viable business. But I was really set. I'd heard a lot of talks on kind of business for good and in the Christian world, you know, Christian business and probably other faiths have the same thing. Um, How do you do business that's really good at the center? And actually I realized everybody was talking about these big businesses, but I realized you have to start somewhere and it's just about those little decisions, Mm -hmm. making them the best you can. But it does, what you set yourself up for is incredibly slow growth because it's all relationship driven. So with the farmers, they want to, they want to come in and they want to see the pizza. They want to, they want to drop stuff off. They want to talk to you about how it tasted. You know, they, they care when you, when you start getting these relationships with the farms that we do, they, they are invested as well. Mm. Organic food at that point, And actually even now at that point, it was so much more expensive than non-organic and it was I found it I found I was the one looking at the numbers and I found it really hard to to keep choosing that and I always wanted to cut corners but thankfully I had her voice or her saying yeah. hey why are we where's that supply I got I'm like oh no um just just the tomatoes please and she's saying no there's no point because we want these young people to learn holistically what is going to be sustainable for the future for their children for their friends children whoever it might be Come and on. so we, this has always been something at the heart, but always something that's challenged, it challenged me, I think, particularly because I've wanted to take shortcuts in it um, because I'm trying to make the numbers work <laughs> and yeah, there aren't well, loads of spaces I can, somebody's got to do that. And there aren't yeah. loads of spaces you can make that work uh, uh, if, if you're, if you've got these really set values, which we do and we did and we chose that. And that was part of it. Can we do business well? Can we do business that isn't creating more of a negative impact by us being a business than than not? And we already had the social side of it, the people, the young people. So there were lots Mm -hmm. of people arguing, well, you're already doing a good thing. You know, you don't need to do all this stuff. But I was thinking, but what's the point in employing these young people in an unsustainable way in a way that's only going to make their futures work like they I, I need we need them to be building for better otherwise we're setting them up for something that's to be honest unrealistic so now it looks like us having really really close relationships with a couple of farms and growers locally also we mill flour in-house so we have a, a tabletop mill and we mill our flour so we buy really? in the grain yeah um which really increases so the nutrition of the pizza and it also means that essentially we can buy ancient grains but the challenge well a mill a, even a tabletop mill is like two thousand pounds and it's just every time we ever have any like even a tiny margin in the bank to it just gets reinvested. It just gets, it's just going straight back into the business and make it because of these other values, this environment and social piece 
there's always these areas that need need investment. So we, we've won awards for it. So it's not been in vain, which is, it's nice to be recognized. It's nice. Woo, I think woo, I've woo. never really, well yeah, it's fun. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. My husband is, um, is the one really that's, that's to kind of thank for that, but he's, he just never, he doesn't really care about the awards. He's always on to the next thing, but I'm trying to make him kind of stop and appreciate that this is actually <laughs> a really great thing. And also that yes. we put a lot of work into this. So <laughs> he needs to go collect the award. Um, Come on. That's probably what it means to be at the forefront of social change and trying to use your business to solve problems. I think from just listening to your story, I feel like running a business is really can be summed up as just problem solving. It's like yeah. consistent problem solving, isn't <laughs> that is it? it? That is it. <laughs> Do you find that stressful? Has it gotten easier or are you kind of, you just take it in your stride now? It is a lovely day when there's not a crisis. <laughs> <laughs> Tell the truth. Where's the lie? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now it's maybe less unusual, but it, there were there was a time that it was unusual for there not to be a crisis, particularly when we were a much smaller team. And we're not even a huge team now, but we have a couple of key yeah. team members in place that can help us carry some of the weight. And actually, the problem was when we were trying to solve all the problems ourselves and the team we were almost not allowing the team to solve the problems. We didn't ah. We didn't mean to not allow them, but we just thought mm -hmm. they're, they're too big, they're too stressful. We don't want to put that on people. So, But at the same time, you're actually denying them the kind of, you're not really empowering, you know, we weren't empowering them to own their job role and to own the responsibility that comes with that, which is what they need to grow and develop. So when, when we're delegating and bringing our core team into the crisis it's great but other but either way mm. you have to be in that headspace you have to be unflapped by by the things that go wrong and, and honestly that's basically impossible isn't it it's you can't always be sometimes problems come and and you can solve them and you can remain peaceful and sometimes you just get these things that come in from the left field and they just swipe your peace you know they just they just take you out and it's yeah. always when you're not expecting it because when you're expecting it it doesn't take you out because you're ready you're like it's like a boxing match, you know, come mm. on, I'm ready. And it is a bit of a push pull, but it's the moment when you've breathed out. That's for me, the worst times when you think, oh, this is going well, the team's in place, nobody's leaving, nobody, I don't need to get rid of any, there's like, everything's good and the young people are doing well and everything's thriving. And, and then it's that moment that, I don't know, somebody calls and says the pizza is flooded and, you know, if something's going wrong. There's, and even that's actually not so bad. It's normally the people things that really get me example but maybe at that moment the person that you've been relying on says do you know what I've actually got another job and you're like no uh, <laughs> um, that. that is that moment when you just you feel like you we really feel it so personally and it's not it's not their responsibility they are free yeah. but it, it is never going to change the way they've invested so much exactly yeah and yeah. we feel oh, like man. you know we set it up as a bit mm. of a extent we feel like it is just our extended family it's I mean we spend so much of our lives with these people and time investing in the business. So yeah, I find that tricky. Speaking of family, you've touched on earlier that, you know, throughout your journey, you have your husband helping out with you, but he wasn't there from the beginning. Let's talk about that. <laughs> What's it like? And I'm saying that because my husband is also my business partner. And I'm just curious to know, like, what's the dynamic in having your husband join your business? Because you had started it before. Yeah. Uh, before you two were together, I'm assuming. Yeah. And then he he came into that. 
How did you guys navigate that? What does it look like for you guys? I just want yeah. a sneak peek into what that looks like. <laughs> Behind the curtain. Yes. Um, if it was down to me, we'd have probably a really simple menu. We'd be sustainable, but it would be simple. And I'd probably say no to the bigger, more complicated briefs because I just want to like keep going and get ahead. <laughs> However, um, when a bigger, complicated brief comes in for something we've never done before, he's the one saying, that sounds interesting. I want to do that. (laughs) I'm laughing because I'm like, oh, my gosh, that sounds exactly like us. Anyway, go on. That's that's encouraging to me. I want to talk about that separately after this. Um, So we have a really, yeah, I guess we have a different way of doing things. He also has more capacity than me for that kind of thing. At some point, we had another events manager in getting these briefs and she would ask Lawrence, do you want to do this? And he'd say, absolutely. And I suddenly started to realize that these things gave him a lot of life rather than making it homogenous and kind of consistent. For me, I'm about how the business works. I do do a lot of the people side. I probably kind of enjoy the the line management side. Yeah, so I guess I'm more on driving it forward and he's more on making it wider. <laughs> um, yeah. Increasing the brief. And I'm uh, wondering how we're actually going to get to the next month. Um, yeah. Or the next year. So yeah, yeah. I think that, that, that it works. I think it does work well together. You guys have such a beautiful partnership. Uh, you can hear as well. And I think that's the great thing about having the, like a, a partner in business or business partners is that you each have your different strengths. And when you bring them together, that's when something really beautiful can emerge. So how do you then navigate, say, things like boundaries? Does work come at home? Like you're saying, as an entrepreneur, that work-life balance thing is tricky to navigate when you're in business with your husband or your partner. I think the idea, we've, we know what an ideal week looks like. And I'd say we do maybe four of those ideal weeks a year. Um, And that is when we actually have a time where we sit down every week and have a slot that's about well needed. And we normally don't sit down, actually, that's awful for us, but go for a walk so we can like look ahead and talk and not be looking at each other or a drive. And it not be a kind of work time, so not feel the pressure to achieve, but just have a space. And the irony is we have these meetings with other members of the team where you just have a you know, a touch base or whatever, but with, we very rarely make time to do that with each other where mm. it's, it's kind of set aside space to talk about anything but work related. And when we do that, it gives, um, it's a bit like bursting the balloon or whatever, or the bubble of pressure that, that naturally builds up and it just gives a bit of an outlet for it. But when we don't mm. do that, it, That's good. it means that it sort of creeps out in little, you know, air pockets where it doesn't need to at the kid's bedtime or I don't know, just in moments that's really not that appropriate and which takes us away from the present of what we're needing to do at that time. Or it means that one of us is thinking about work and wanting to talk about it where the other one is actually just switched off and it's a, a weekend or it's a day off. And but we're not aligned. And actually, when we set aside a time, it means you we have managed our expectation about what that time is going to be about. And- it's a bit of a dance, isn't it? Um, and uh, I feel like with those things, it's more about rhythm, I yeah. think, than, than set in stone structure. So I, I, I hear you on that. All of us have a villain that's in our story, whether it's you internally and you believing <laughs> that you could do that thing or it could be an external circumstance or um, someone that's been against you like what would you say has been the biggest villain in your journey with well needed so far 
cash flow. <laughs> ah. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Um, I, or, yeah, slash maybe me. I think probably I, I noticed that something I do is that's not a good habit. If something's particularly challenging, I find it easier to count myself out rather than put myself into the challenge. So even for well-needed. So you could either try your absolute hardest, spend all the time you need, um, let's say launching mm-hmm. a product or, or putting an event on. You can you know, do it one of two ways. You do it really well and you prepare and you organize and you put all of your ore into it, but you risk nobody showing up to that event or you yeah. kind of do it half-heartedly and then if no one shows up doesn't really matter but and so, so <laughs> but it does yeah. um and yeah. I'm sometimes I can I notice that I'm tending it's not what I enjoy doing and it's not my best but I can tend towards that kind of self-sabotage uh, mm. narrative um yeah. rather than and in the end I get it I get to it and I I can turn it around and then if it doesn't work it doesn't work but I I can see that there are other people in our team who just quickly say, you know, we've, we've planned this event, we're going to do it. Um, you know, let's just do it really well. It's going to be great. And I think sometimes I'm harder to get to the, it's going to be great stage. I see all of the problems, even though I'm by nature positive and I could do it for your event or anyone else's event. But when it comes, when it comes back to the fact it's mine and that it's my business, um, Uh I can sort of almost try and keep it at arm's length so that if it doesn't work, it's, I've got distance between it or maybe I didn't put my all into it or whatever. So I, that I think I've noticed has been a, a consistent struggle for me. And there are times when it's not, but it, every time something big comes up, I just, it's whether I'm leaving it to the last minute or whatever it is, I'm just sort of, uh, I don't want to, and then I get into it. And then suddenly I think, why didn't I give myself more time? I'm loving this. And it's really, yeah, it's hugely frustrating mm. to me. Um, yeah. Cool. I have a friend of mine who says, if you don't second, like, if you feel confident all the time as an entrepreneur, then you're probably a narcissist. So <laughs> I, I, found that, I found that so freeing. So like, I'm sharing that with you. Hopefully that's that will make you feel better. Yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> does make me feel better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. One last thing that I want to ask you, if someone watching today or listening was thinking, I want to use my business as a force of good. I want to make an impact with my business. What would your advice be to them? Would there be any things that you would avoid now that you've gone through it and you've been at it for for many years? Really tips that you want to share with them? I think at the beginning, I didn't have a clear idea. And again, I, I would say this is in some ways is a positive, but I didn't have a clear idea. I knew that beyond the food truck side. I think I saw it as perhaps a project, maybe a two to five year project. But I didn't, again, this might Mm. be linked to that, the villain kind of question that you just asked. I didn't really give it space to say, well, what about if it was, what about if this is a business that thrives? What about if this is a 20 year plan? What would the business look like? Or what would, what would it be? And, And I, I don't know that I always have the strategic thinking. I can see, I can see, but I don't always see the steps in between. And I'd say mm-hmm. know what your strength is. So if you're more of a visionary, like get, you said you're a strategist, get alongside a strategist and say, right, you know, give me a day of your time. If you need to pay them, find a way of paying them, whatever it is, or it's a friend and it's, you know, whatever, however you work it. But somebody, I wish I'd have had somebody at that stage to help me pot- bottom out a little the steps. But I don't know if I'd have listened to them if they'd have said, hey, do you need a strategy? Mm. You know, I don't know if I'd have, I don't know if my ego would have, <laughs> Just been like, no, I don't. I'm fine. I can do it um, myself. <laughs> yeah, I can do it myself, but I don't want to be held back. And I didn't, 
you know, every time mm. somebody did ask a question like that, I was aware of that. I felt a time pressure, like I had to do it now. And, and maybe that would be my advice. I don't think there is a time. I think the world tells you and the social media is all about time and we're running out of time. And yes, in some ways you could say that, but in terms of the bigger picture of life and how it works, but but there's always, you know, some of the most famous artists became fam- Van Gogh, whatever, you know, 80 and people so do stuff all through their life. I don't, I think this, this notion that there is this time pressure or that, that if we're not helping somebody now, then, you know, so they won't be helped. Well, it's like making ourselves the God figure. And yes. actually we just need to do mm-hmm. the thing. The, the better thing would be to do it really well when we do it. And even if that's to, even if you end up kind of having an impact on less people, but it's a, it's a more holistic impact, an impact that Come will on. last rather than something rushed. And I don't, mm. I didn't have that. You know, I think I was really, because I felt the kind of inertia of starting and there were so many hurdles, but I think to have just broken it down and, and known, you know, it's fine. Give yourself five years to get to this next step. That would have actually been really freeing. And now I find that that's really helpful to say, no, we don't need to launch another product or an event in three months let's do it this time next year and let's plan it and let's yes. you know if it's too yes. much don't do it <laughs> yes. you know sometimes you feel the financial pressure or the whatever pressure but um just, actually just the reputational pressure or the you know the ego pressure you know that but I've got to be producing or I've got to yeah. be efficient and but I it's I think it's um I that's something that I would change and I try now if I if I see myself going into it if I see us as a business just falling into something unplanned then trying to pull back and say, look, is there anything we can change? Can we change a goalpost here? Can we, can we push something back? And I know it's not the cool thing to do, but like letting people down, maybe saying, Hey, I can't do this. Um, but and invaluable in starting a business, whether it's for good or not, but is having a mentor. And I don't currently have Mm. one. Um, very sadly, my mentor died at the beginning of COVID, not of COVID, but yeah, he passed so away sorry. and just very suddenly. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's so gutting. I just think almost on a weekly basis, I'm like, Faisal, what would you do? Um, and he's, he's, he was, the, the thing that was amazing was that he was so different from me. So I had these options of having somebody that was sort of more similar and who I was so inspired by. And he was speaking internationally and he said, don't worry, we can have Zoom calls from, I'll be in Geneva and you'll be there. And I thought, my God, you know, I was kind of blown away by the, mm. I don't know, flashiness of it. But also he was the way, what he was speaking on in his heart, I was really, I connected with. But this other guy, Faisal, he he had, he had really amazing templates. He'd come from a management consultant background, but yeah, I felt we were really different. But the way that we worked together and the way he brought um, clarity my kind of vision and thinking and actually strategy he was a real strategist he would just say what's the next step okay well you need this done by next week when we meet or it just somebody mm. somebody giving me deadlines was really helpful because all I could see is all the deadlines and how do you know everything to me is a deadline you know all yeah. my to-do list is a yeah. deadline it's like yeah. when is the deadline it's now you know I make it all now and he would filter it out and push it into different boxes and places and I guess help me see the wood for the trees and that's you know, so gift. good so good yeah great mentors are such a gift oh yeah <laughs> any <All> out there <laughs> any, well if i find one that's relevant to you i'll send them your way thank you all right we're wrapping up the show bridget and what we tend to do is we play this game called give me three and the whole point of it is i'm going to ask you a few questions where you're supposed to speak before you think so it's like quick fire questions you ready okay i'm right. ready <laughs> okay. Give me three reasons why you would be thrown out of your own wedding. 
I was late. <laughs> I missed it. Um, yeah. Maybe I ate all the food. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is a great one for you. So give me three reasons why British food is better than French food. Sorry if you're French, by the way. <laughs> well, anyone French, French out food there. doesn't have mushy peas. I love mushy peas. Hey. Um, comfort foods. British food does comfort food so well. Yes. Um, that's two things. Well, British food is just the best of everything. We don't really have a food, so we go for everything. <laughs> French is very specific and very narrow. It's lovely, but British does everything. British is anything you want it to be. So that's why that's we have no identity. <laughs> we don't know what we are. <laughs> Woo, that's fantastic. Okay. Last one. <laughs> Give me three signs you're getting old. I actually want a day off. <laughs> I need my days off. Yeah. Um, I can't concentrate as long on stuff. But I, I blame the children for that. I was going to say, is that getting age, old maybe. or parenting? I think that's parenting. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> you know, I like, I like a bit more matching bed linen than I used to. I think that might be a sign of age. <laughs> <laughs> definitely definitely is yeah that's brilliant um, Bridget <laughs> if people wanted to connect with you online where can they find you and if there have you got guys got anything going on at Well Needed that people can come and check you guys out absolutely so if you are in the UK or if you're coming to visit then we have a couple of fixed sites one that's already open in southwest London in Earlsfield um, on Garrett Lane and near Ellsfield train station and another one excitingly launching soon um, in Ballam. So that should be up and running. Yeah. Um, so come check us out there. And there's other food available there as well. We're in a kind of little market. If you're online, online visiting, then check out wellneededfood.com. Need is spelled K-N-E-A-D-E-D, like you need dough. Or wellneededfood on Instagram or Facebook as well. And if you wanted to get involved, um, we would love to give you guys 50% off pizza when you come visit us. So you can see the link in the notes um, connected to the show um, and we'll send out a code for that for you guys. And also, if you did want to support the impact side of our business with the young people, we are launching a charity side um, so that we can yeah, really take that to a new level. So if you go to the website, there should be a button that says um, donate now on the about page where it talks about the young people and what we're doing there. And if you did want to give to that, then then that's where you can, can do that. And that should take you straight through to a donation page. So, yeah, that would be amazing. Thank you so much for, for supporting, if you can. Amazing. Well, thank you so much again for joining us today, Bridget. I have learned so much from you and I've had a blast talking to you. Oh, well, I have loved being here and I just love the whole concept of these podcasts it's i'm going to be listening um, we all need support and inspiration so thank you for taking the time to do it thanks for tuning in today all the resources mentioned in the show are linked below if you're watching on youtube and linked in the show notes if you're listening to the podcast if you've enjoyed today's episode then i want to invite you to help us spread our message by choosing one of four ways one subscribe to the youtube channel or the podcast two Leave a review if you're listening to the podcast. It really helps. Three, let me know in the comments below what the key takeaways were for you in today's episode. And four, share this episode with one friend who could use a little bit of courage today. And if you want to binge our episodes, may I suggest you watch this episode right here if you're watching on YouTube. 
that's it. Until next time, don't forget to live courageously and dare forward.